welcome to the Ethnos Ubuntu Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us. Today's episode is part three of our REST series titled Environment, Equality, and Debt, led by speaker Yukon Chu. We are in a series on REST, and today is week three. Talk number three, discussion number three in this series. Uh, how have you been enjoying this series? Has it been all right? Yeah, yeah, yeah? okay, cool, cool, good, 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 yeah. I, I feel like every uh, Sunday as I've kind of prepared for the series, I've, I've been really encouraged and excited about the conversations we've had. Today, I'm really excited because we have, we're going to talk about a, an aspect of rest that I don't think a lot of us uh, maybe think about. We're going to kind of get a bigger picture of rest than maybe what we're used to, okay? And so today, we're going to get started with this question on the screen, and some of us will be able to relate to this very well. Some of us may not. Those of you in the middle school, high school section, this might be a tough one to relate to, but I think it's doable, okay? I think it's doable. Um, But a lot of others here, and a lot of us adults will find this to be actually, ooh, this is a tough one. Take a look at the question on the screen. If you can, in the next two minutes, just talk about this question with your neighbor here. How does debt make you feel? Ah! How does debt make you feel? And how have you lost precious energy in your life because of debt? Two minutes. Talk it over with your neighbor. Here we go. Rest talk number three. All right. Let's, let's start thinking about this together. I know this is, could be a touchy subject, uh, but who wants to get us started? Who wants to share with us a little bit about, about your, your response to this question? How does debt make you feel? Um, when have you lost precious energy as it relates to debt? Who wants to share? Okay. Wow. Thank you, Rita, for getting us started. Let's give Rita a hand because it's not easy to talk about this. Yeah. This is about um, what we discussed at the table. Um, uh, Greg mentioned that there is financial debt and our sins are a debt, that they weigh us down. So that was his good point of view, that, yeah, it's not just money. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Let's give them a hand here. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Um, Who else? Who else wants to process with us their answer to this question? Anybody? How does debt make you feel? When, in, when have you been weighed down with debt? Yeah, okay, over here. And then we'll jump over here. Yeah. So, well, for those of us who are, you know, just finished with college or maybe not uh, older and wiser to have that other perspective of sin, um, debt isn't just financial. We're experiencing the financial debt. And so student <laughs> loans are pretty heavy. Um, and we lose sleep over them, especially when you're first learning how to manage them. Yeah. Yep. Let's give it up for Yasmina. Yes, student debt is a real thing. Is a real thing. Yeah. Um, I guess to cover the um, the second question, we kind of talked about how um, you could like spend time in terms of debt. Like one of the um, examples that Nate gave was like, um, like you know, you spend time to meal prep so that you don't like spend money, you know, or you like walk instead of driving your car, so that's that way. And I think for me too, like mental energy, um, specifically for me for like budgeting, taking the time to like budget everything out, you know, and all those types of things. So yeah. Yeah, let's give it up for Lenora. Yeah, sometimes 
Yeah, sometimes we, we're trying to save money, but then, yeah, it's costing us something else. And we feel like, wait a second, am I, what am I saving actually here? And is this actually helpful? Yeah. Anybody else? Anybody else? Oh, yeah, up here, up here. All right. Making, making me work, making me work. Yeah. Uh, so I was actually reminded by my wife about how certain members of my family have a concept of social debt, where it's like if they do you a favor, if they give you a gift, they, they implicitly expect something back. And, and so a lot of energy and honestly good time with that, those members of the family has been lost, either because of concern for not wanting to incur social debt and nor wanting to have them feel like they're indebted to us. Yeah, let's give it for Jimmy. Yeah, thank you. Yes, uh, especially for those of us from cultures that where that is paramount. Yes, that's a great perspective. Yeah, let's go back to Rita one more. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to add that with debt, sometimes we forget that tithe is, not, you know, um, let me go back. Um, debt is very important. Um, Tithe is very important. People are just wrapped up in their debt and financial responsibilities, and they forget that um, as soon as you get paid, you pay back um, your tithe because this is from God. It's all His. And some people are... St I, I struggled with that for some time because, God, what I have needs. You know, how can I give my tithe? But then I learned, it took me a while to understand that I have to have the faith that when I give back to God, because it's all his, it's all coming from him, uh, the rest will be, I don't know how he covers the rest, but he does. Yeah. So it, it's amazing. Yeah. Yep. yeah, let's give it up for Rita. Yeah, so giving to God is a part of this process, trying to figure it out together. Okay, yeah. Well, you know what? This is a fascinating conversation already, and I hope you are excited to explore with us this morning how debt, and some other issues are related to this big picture of rest. Now, before we move on, I want to do a couple of things. First of all, I want to change the batteries in this microphone, okay, because it's about to die. So give me about... All right, thank you. All right, we got that taken care of, okay. I'm glad you can edit out the talks before you put them online, so that's good. Um, so we want to do that. Before we go on and launch into our conversation here today, I want to just really quickly recap where we've been so far, just so we understand how this is kind of building up, okay. So week number one, uh, let's get the, the screen up. Week number one, uh, if you remember, we talked about some of the basics of what rest is, at least according to Jesus and his scriptures. And we kind of left with some basic ideas to get us started. Can we carve out one to two hours a week? We're not talking about a whole day of rest, although that is talked about often in the scriptures of Jesus. Let's start small. Can we start with one to two hours of rest where we reflect back on the previous week, and ask a simple question, God, how have you been trying to save me? How have you, how have you been trying to reach out inside my life 
and take me from the d- difficult and stressful things of my life and give me hope. I'm curious, and you don't have to raise your hand or anything, but I'm curious how many of us have done that so far and how we've changed, how we experienced something new. That's where we started just a few weeks ago. Then last week, we zeroed in on this issue of work and how resting well involves working well. And so we asked some basic questions with work and rest. Number one, we asked, like, how are we doing with, in terms of, quote-unquote, work fulfillment? Are we, have we explored how God is a part of helping us determine the right sort of work that we have and, or the right, right sort of work we should be engaged in and the right sort of attitudes and character we bring into our work? How are we doing with work fulfillment? And then second of all, we talked about this really important issue of boundaries with work. How do we stop ourselves from working when we shouldn't be working and in such a way experience rest? Now today, we're going to launch into something bigger. And the reason we're going to do this is because as we look at the scriptures of Jesus, we realize that Jesus, when he talks about rest, he isn't just talking about our our personal lives and our rest for ourselves as individuals. Jesus has this huge vision of what rest is. And so this is what we're going to talk about today. Let's get to the next slide. Today, we're going to talk about the ultimate rest, the big rest that Jesus has for us. It's, it's a lot bigger than we think. It's going to involve three things uh, in terms of rest. It's going to involve rest in terms of environment, environmental rest, like not just like our environment, but the world around us. It's going to involve the issue of status and the issue of debt. The issue of status and debt. What do we mean by that? Well, we're going to figure out, we're going to see this here this morning And I hope this will provide some guidance for the actual challenges and struggles we have right now with feeling rested. Let's take a look at our scriptures here this morning. We are going to be looking, uh, and if you can take your kind of sheets out this morning, uh, we're going to be looking at a very interesting portion of scripture Uh, in the scriptures of Jesus. Again, we've been looking at these scriptures that were written some 500 to 1,000 years ago before Jesus actually came himself. And so these are Jesus's own scriptures that he held to. And these were written specifically to a particular people group known as the Israelites that lived in a particular place at a particular time. Why do I emphasize that? I emphasize that because this is not directly for us today. Uh, sometimes some people mistaken the scriptures of Jesus. They think they read this like 2,000 plus year old document and they say, oh, we have to do the same thing today, some thousands of years later. No, that's not how you apply the scriptures of Jesus. You need to read it properly in its context, understand some of the principles, understand what God is trying to show us about himself and the world. And then from there, we draw some application, okay? And so I want to emphasize, this is written in such a way that should not be applied to us today directly, but we do see something about the heart of God, and we do see something about Jesus and what Jesus will ultimately do to help us find rest. And so take a look with me, if you will, at this fascinating, fascinating ancient passage. Notice how it begins. It says this, The Lord said to Moses at Mount Sinai, there's our context, 
If you're familiar with the story, that's great. If not, don't worry. We're just going to continue forward. The Lord said to Moses at Mount Sinai, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land I'm going to give you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. Now, our word Sabbath there is a word we've been seeing the last few weeks. That's the Jewish Hebrew word for rest, okay? The land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years, you're to sow your fields, and for six years, prune your vineyards and gather their crops. But in the seventh year, the land is to have a year of Sabbath rest a Sabbath to the Lord. Do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards. Do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the grapes of your untended vines. The land is to have a year of rest. Now let's just pause and think there really quickly. It's a fascinating, fascinating request, right, from God. God is saying very explicitly that for one whole year, you're not to do anything with your land. The land is to have rest as well. Now, we could ask some very important questions. Why? Why does God say this? There are a number of reasons we could get into, but I think this one reason may relate to us here today, some thousands of years later, and make some sense. I realize that as we read this, especially as city dwellers, very few of us feel like this is a relevant passage, right? It's like, okay, land, rest. Yeah, maybe I learned about, maybe in early history class or science class that, you know, yeah, there's this thing that soil has to get replenished. I think I remember that in my early, you know, schooling. But like, what does that, what does this have to, anything to do with today? Well, some of you are familiar, and those of you who are engaged in any of the climate marches on Friday, uh, some, if not many of you are familiar, that one of the biggest issues facing our world at this moment, and will probably continue to face our world in the years to come, is this issue of climate change, right? And one of the biggest issues with climate change is that the soil that we look to for our existence, for our food, will be radically, radically altered because of global warming. The soil that we look to to live on will be radically altered. There will be famines, and we'll have to have, you know, people are predicting massive global migration because of how our soil is affected. This idea that God cares for our land and God wants us to care for our land is something that's been here for thousands of years, and it couldn't be more relevant even today. Now, here's the deal. Not only does God care for it, of course, God wants us to care for it, but not only is it about a care thing, if you read it closely, right, it's about this idea that God is saying our land does need rest. In fact, he's designed it in such a way that it needs rest. And the vision of God is that somehow our world will become a world where human beings understand that about the land, they treat it properly, and in many ways the land then gives back and treats humanity as it was meant to be treated, at least from the land. It's a fascinating picture, isn't it, of an ancient scripture trying to show us that God's sense of rest 
is much bigger than my individual like work-life balance type of thing. It's, it involves something bigger. It involves our world. It involves the soil. It involves all the issues that we are facing today. Now, notice how the text continues. This is really fascinating. The text then continues and says this. Count off seven Sabbath years, seven times seven years, so that the seven Sabbath years amount to a period of 49 years. Oh, my goodness. That's the math for Sunday morning, isn't it? Okay, seven times seven. We all got that. Woo! (laughs) Consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each of you is to return to your, to your family property and to your own clan. In this year of jubilee, everyone is to return to their own property. Now, what's going on here? And so God is telling these ancient people that, okay, as part of the way I want you to live in this land, I need you to count off every 50th year, basically. And on the 50th year, he calls it a jubilee. We'll get to what that means in a little bit. He calls it a jubilee, and on this jubilee, guess what? Everyone is supposed to return to their land. Now, what does he mean by that? Why would you not be living in your land? What, what's it mean to return to your land? Well, notice what it, how it continues. Note, third paragraph, if you sell your land to any of your own people or buy land from them, do not take advantage of each other. You are to buy from your own people on the basis of the number of years since jubilee. So he's talking about, interestingly enough, this idea of buying and selling property, and you have to, like, count, you know, you're buying and selling and calculate the price based on when the last jubilee was. Okay, well, why would you do that? Notice paragraph number four. The land must not be sold permanently because the land is mine and you reside in my land as foreigners and strangers. Throughout the land that you hold as a possession, you must provide for the redemption of the land. And then notice what it says then. Next, if one of your fellow Israelites become poor and sells some of their property, their nearest relative is to come and redeem what they have sold. But if they do not accrue the means to repay, what was sold will remain in the possession of the buyer until the year of Jubilee. It will be returned in the Jubilee and they can go back to their property. Do you see what's going on here? And this is pretty radical. What God is basically saying to these ancient people is, here's the deal. You may run into a situation in your life as a family where you have to sell your property. Maybe you ran out of money. Maybe you know, you know, something happened and you had to make ends meet. And so the best way for you to do it was to sell land. Guess what? Those buying land calculate the price of the land based on the year of the Jubilee because what's going to happen on the year of the Jubilee every 50 years? Everyone is going to get their land back. To put it differently, God was saying to this society back then that, you know what? I need you all to recognize, number one, this is my land, not your land. I gave it to you. And number two, the way I want this land to be lived on is that everyone has their fair share. Everyone, everyone will be equal in terms of what they own, what they don't own, we're going to have equality here in the land. This is an issue of God preventing a society from having the rich get richer 
and the poor get poorer. This is an issue of God creating a society where every 50 years, people come together again and say, you know what, we belong to God, and we need to be equal and love each other, and we can't somehow one-up each other in economic sorts of ways. And then notice how the, the story continues or how the vision continues. The next paragraph, starting in 35, it says this. If any of your fellow Israelites become poor and are unable to support themselves among you, help them as you would a foreigner and stranger so that they can continue to live among you. Do not take interest or any profit from them, but fear your God so that they may continue to live among you. You must not lend them money at interest or sell them food out of profit. If any of you fellow Israelites become poor and sell themselves to you, do not make them work as slaves. They are to be treated as hired workers or temporary residents among you. They are to work for you until the year of Jubilee. Then they are, and their children are to be released, and they will go back to their own clans and to the property of their ancestors. Even if someone is not redeemed in any of these ways, they and their children are to be released in the year of Jubilee, for the Israelites belong to me as servants. They're my servants whom I brought out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And so this is a crazy vision of how God sees his people. Back in that time, God wanted his people to be free of debt, to be free of the oppression of expectation with other people, this is a fascinating vision of what rest means for God. Now, here's the question, of course, or here's the, here's the issue, actually. Here's the question, and here's the issue. First of all, the question. Um, can you just imagine really quick, just take a moment, and just think about what if we lived in a world like this right now? I mean, think about all the debt you have, okay? Think about the debt you inherited perhaps from your parents. Not just the financial bank accounts kind of debts, but the debts like the social debt perhaps. The debt you accrued because someone helped you, helped your family get to this country. And so you kind of feel bad because you maybe have to repay that relative that helped you get in this country. Maybe you borrowed some money here to help cover something. And you're like, oh, shoot, I borrowed from them. I borrowed from them. I borrowed from them. And then now I'm like, I really can't pay back all of them. Like, just think about the debt you have right now. Does it feel good? You like having debt? Think about how much anxiety and unrest that produces. Now, God, of course, wants us to learn how to pay back our debts. You kind of hear see it in this passage. But God is such a big God and works in such an amazing way that God's hope is that humanity one day will be released of all of those debts. In fact, he hopes that humanity will figure out a way to to release each other from debt somehow, a rhythm, a cycle of release from debt. 
But here's the question, right? I mean, this is an amazing vision. If we kind of imagine ourselves being in these shoes, and if this actually happened, this would be amazing, wouldn't it? I mean, just imagine the, the freedom, the rest you and I would feel. Think about just how renting a property right now for some of us. I mean, a lot of us are renting property, right? And some of us, it's like, okay, yeah, it's going to be a rental, and then I'm going to get something later because, you know, I have a job. But others of us, we, we're not sure where the finances are coming. We can't even imagine ourselves buying a home because we just don't have that sort of freedom. And just think about the anxiety. Constantly being in rental property gives you. A lot of us know that too well. Like God's vision is like, no, this is not how humanity is supposed to live. There's something better. But here's the crazy thing. According to every single scholar of this time, uh, that has studied this time period, guess what? The Israelites never lived this out. In their hundreds of years of history, they could never live out this passage. And it kind of makes sense, right? I mean, we read it and we're like, no way, this is too, way too ideal. I mean, who in the world would be this, this selfless? I mean, right? If, if, like, who could actually live this? The Israelites actually couldn't do it themselves either. And so this is why the scriptures of Jesus, as they tell the story of God interacting with humanity, this is why when Jesus comes, he says, you know what, one of the reasons I needed to come to this world was to actually live out perfectly the scriptures myself and enable humanity itself to ultimately be able to live out the vision God has for him. When Jesus comes, it's really interesting, and we're going to look at some more scriptures. When Jesus comes, he actually takes our debt. And not only does he take our debt, he says, you know what? I'm going to start something where one day humanity will be released from this debt that we've read about and more. And not only that, even now I'm going to enable people to begin to live in this better and bigger sort of way. Take a look at the next scripture, would you? It's a very simple scripture. Notice how it describes the work of Jesus. It says this, when you were dead in your sins. Now, sins here, when it's used in the scriptures of Jesus, isn't just like moral failure or like that. It's like sin is a big word. It talks about the effects of evil, basically, in our world. Okay, so... Think about all the ways Leviticus 25, what we just read, wasn't lived out. Think about all the oppression that happens because of debt and land ownership and all those things. When we were dead in that, when we couldn't help ourselves out of that, God made you and I alive in Christ, in Jesus. He forgave us all our sins. And then notice the, the metaphor here. Having canceled the charge of the legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. What this scripture is trying to tell us is that, you know, when Jesus came, 
He began something when he died on the cross that ultimately involved this sense of indebtedness we have. Not just to God. I mean, yeah, we actually are in debt to God quite a bit, right? Talk about someone who's given us everything and can we ever pay back God? No. He's all the love and forgiveness, all that stuff. Not just to God, though, but to each other and also to our world. I mean, I love how this Leviticus passage starts off by talking about creation and how really, I mean, just think about it. The land is supposed to rest. Have we let the land rest recently? We are in debt to planet Earth. We are in debt to each other, and we are in debt to God. We are in trouble. And so one of the things Jesus did when he came was to literally take the I love the metaphor. It's to take this kind of written debt that we have. He nails it to the cross. He says, you know what? I'm going to take care of the debt. And not only does he do that, at that moment, at the cross, when Jesus does this, something happens, according to the scriptures, that begins to change our world in a very kind of existential sort of way. As we read through the scriptures of Jesus, we begin to realize that, wait, there's this thing now happening since then where God will begin to help make us new people so that we can live out some of these ideals. We can actually live some of this out. And then not only that, one day Jesus will come back and he will set the world aright. And this issue of debt actually will be completely taken care of. The year of Jubilee, every 50 years you reset debt, that was a vision of the ultimate reset that's coming. But notice the last scripture. Notice how Jesus describes the possibilities now, now that he's come. He says this, and this is directly a quote from here. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Now, here's the deal. Jesus does want people to pay back debt. Okay, let's just get it clear. Like, if you're in debt right now, Jesus isn't saying, like, hey, yes, I'll take care of it. So, you know, just... Say, screw you, credit card company, or forget you, home loan, or, you know, screw you, family member, for letting me borrow all this. No, 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 that's not, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, first of all, look, I'm going to give you hope in the midst of your debt. Uh, you feel like it's cyclical. You feel like it's never going to end. Look, there's a day coming where it will end. And, in fact, I've begun something. Can you trust in me now? that I will take care of your debt, every sort of debt. So there, there, he, he does want to have us trust him. But number two, he is saying those, to those of us especially who have the means to give out money or give out favors or, or give out property, you know, that challenge is, you know what, this idea of being released from debt, we can actually be involved in that as well as followers of Jesus. And you may be thinking to yourself, wait, I don't have a lot of money, like, Wait, I, it's not like I'm a bank, right, Jesus? Like, but let me ask you, so, ask you something. How many of you have recently let somebody borrow something? And how many of you have not gotten back what you let someone borrow? Oh, I think that's all of us in this room. <laughs> 
right? Because the reality is, yeah, we're not very rich. Let's just be honest, right? This is not, you know, we're not like, you know, a church on the Upper West Side or something like that, right? Where it's like, we got money to spare. But I think all of us here have probably in some way, shape, or fashion let somebody borrow something. And I have a feeling that many of us have not been paid back. Could it be that this vision God wants to give us and this new life that he wants to give us involves a release of debt in those moments so that people can know the beauty and rest of God. My hope is you and I will begin to realize that when God talks about rest, his vision of rest is big. It's really big. It's not just about our work-life balance. It's not just about the boundaries and finding that little quiet time we talked about in the first few weeks. No, God's vision of rest is huge. It involves our world, our earth, the, the, our, the soil we live on and all that we, the environmental stuff that's happening now. And no, no, God's vision is that one day we will, the earth will have rest. And we will join in its rest. And not only that, the debts we feel, the debts that weigh us, the debts that are actual, and the debts that we don't even know about, all of that will be completely resolved. And so my hope is that we will begin to realize that we have a God who cares about us, like who really cares about every aspect of our individual but also communal life as, a, as humanity. And because he cares, because he has a vision, because he's actually doing something to ultimately free us from all of that burden and oppression, this is a God that right now, right now we can trust this God. Right now, this is a God who understands, who gets, who gets how much stress you have because you're a renter and not a landowner. He gets the stress you and I have because we have debt. And whether it be financial, social, cultural, whatever it is, he gets it. And he wants to help. He wants to give us rest. So I want to encourage us as we take a moment to pray. First and foremost, I want to invite you personally to come before this God. To come before this God and say, you know, God, man, I am not feeling rested because of my debt. I'm not feeling rested. I want you to come to this God and hand that over to him. Again, we talked about, no, this, God's not going to magically put money in your bank account. Maybe that'll happen, but that's not what we're, at, what we're saying. God still wants us to work. God still is going to take care of, needs to, you know, get us to pay some debts back, all those kind of things. But God wants to actually meet us and give us perhaps a new perspective, a new strength. God wants to give us a new hope in our debt. But God ultimately wants to give us rest. So I want you to bring your debt before God. And I, I want to invite you to do it this way. We, we do this every so often here at Ethnos. If you, if you will, I want you to just, when, I, when we move into prayer, I'm going to invite you to close your eyes. And as you close your eyes, I want you to picture Jesus in front of you. And I'm going to invite you to just, in the picture of Jesus that you have, just Imagine yourself handing over Jesus your debt, okay? Like, imagine his hands are out to you. He wants to take care of you. 
and just hand them over to the den. And see what might happen as you give that over to him. Can you join me in a final word of prayer here this morning? God, we, we thank you that you're a God whose vision of rest is so big and so good. God, we ask you to help us experience this even now. We're not sure how it all works out, but we know that as we look to you, Jesus, and what you did on that cross, taking our debt in all its multifaceted ways and actually nailing it to the cross and saying, you know, I'm going to take care of that. God, we look to you, we trust in you, Jesus, and we say, would you help us now? Would you guide us? Thank you that there will be a day where we will be free, completely free to rest without these things. We hope in you, we look to that day. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.